Well, what is the, the good life in this world? What is the happy life? What is it that you are kind of moving towards? What, what reward are you desiring? Whose approval are you seeking? What does it mean to you to, to consider the good life, the happy life uh, for this week ahead? Some people would say, well, you've got to look at someone like Rory McIlroy. A guy who gets to play the game of golf as a career. Last month, uh, Rory got signed up by Nike as one of their sports ambassadors. Now, we don't know the official deal of this sponsorship, but it is estimated that he is being paid about £70 million for a five-year contract. That works out about £30,000 a day. Well, Rory's got to be living the good life, hasn't he? I mean, he can watch um, Top Gear and he can pick all the supercars. So yeah, I'll have one of those in red, yellow, purple, up by the way. What is the good life? What is the happy life? I wonder what you consider is the good life here in, in Edinburgh. What, what, what are you pursuing as the happy life in this city? Well, you might be thinking, well, uh, it's important to go to a really good school, get a great education, and um, achieve good examination success. And of course, you don't want to be just limited academic. Also, you want to maybe be able to play an instrument really well. And, uh, you know, maybe uh, do well on the sporting field, be, be the captain, win cups, win prizes, uh, be popular, uh, become the head boy, become the head girl. Uh, that, 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 that will start you on this road to success. And then maybe you've got to go to a really good university and, uh, you know, get, get a great degree, get, get first class honours. And... Uh, you know, either, you know, if you're doing an obscure subject, you can decide I'm going to become an academic and uh, get, get a degree in this. And I'm, I'm going to get accolades and praise from my peers. I'm, I'm going to get awards and, and, and become tenured and become professor and, 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 and be a great one. People will write books about the things I discover in my thesis. Maybe that will make the happy life. Or you think, well, no, actually, I'm a more practical person. I'm going to be involved in business. I'm going to start a company that's going to become a really successful company. And I'm going to sell it and make millions. Or you think, well, no, actually, I'm, 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 the good life for me is I'm going to become a professional. I'm going to be one of those uh, you know, thrilling careers that everyone looks up to, like lawyers and bankers and and uh, I, I'll become a partner and um, I, I will get a three-figure salary and I will get significant bonuses and, and then I'll be able to get the big, the big house in the nice postcode in Edinburgh. Uh, one where I don't actually have to hear my neighbour. And I have land around it. 
and uh, oh, that would be the good life. And, and then maybe you can get sufficiently wealthy that you become a patron of the arts. You know, you could have your name uh, on, on some wall in the Usher Hall as we acknowledge this wonderful patron who's sponsored music or, 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 or drama or theatre. Or maybe you'll be involved with some charitable boards and, and you'll be a very popular person, a significant person. Uh, you have enough money, you, actually the political parties will ask you to become donors and you'll have special access and maybe you can influence people. And that, Well, is that the dream? Is that the good life here in Edinburgh that's going to make you happy? Is that what we are living for? And into this world where we live, a voice calls out and it sounds so strange and foreign. Do you hear what it is? Here, here's what it's saying. Repent! For the kingdom of heaven is near. It's jarring, isn't it? It's confronting. Repent! For the kingdom of heaven is near. There is a way of thinking and living in this world that is wrong and false. And Jesus, the King, calls on us to change the way we are thinking and reorientate our lives according to this coming kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus says, come and follow me. Well, what does that mean? What does that mean today? Well, please open your Bibles to... Matthew's Gospel, page 968. Because really the summary is what I've just said. Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. Come and follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. That's the, that's the summary. And now we're getting into more detail to explore what is it that Jesus means when he calls on us to, to repent of a false way of thinking. And to change direction and live in a different sort of way. A life that lives in the light of the coming kingdom. What does this look like? Well, you know, I, I'm tempted. I, I think I might even do this. Let, let, let's, let's, let's teach in the way that the rabbis do. So uh, the way rabbis taught was that they sat and everyone stood. So why don't you stand for the reading? And... Uh, this way it was much more comfortable as a teacher in the olden days. <laughs> Can you imagine how long preachers would go for if they could do this and you stood? Well, let, let's just read these 11 verses, uh, 12 verses, see how we get on. Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. For they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. <coughs> Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is God's word. So why don't you sit and ask them? John Stott uh, says that the Sermon on the Mount is probably the best known part of the teaching of Jesus, though arguably, he says, it is the least understood and certainly it is the least obeyed. Here is a description of what Jesus wants his followers to be and to do. So if you're here as someone who's investigating the Christian faith, well, this is a great series of, of Sundays to come along because you're learning what Jesus says it means to be a follower of him. And I guess if you're here today as a disciple, you, you, you know, this of course is intensely interesting to us because we want to be a disciple of Jesus. This is what it means. And he begins with this, these, uh, these verses which are known as the Beatitudes. Apparently, uh, this comes from a Latin word, beatus, which uh, means, it can mean uh, a range of things. Let's see, I have to write this down what it means. Uh, it means happy, fortunate, blissful even. And so here is the, the good life according to Jesus. Here is the God-blessed life. Uh, the problem with fortunate or lucky or happy is it doesn't... It doesn't quite sit exactly with biblical thought. That's why we stick with the word blessed uh, as a sort of a, a way of translating this word. Here is a God-blessed life. Now what does it mean to uh, bless? To be blessed? Um, the Bible speaks of us blessing God. And we just sang a song, Blessed Be Your Name. What do you think, what were you doing? When you sang that, you were just blessing God. And the Bible also speaks of God blessing us. Now, Don Carson, he says the way of understanding this word that begins to get into it is to think of the word approve. When, when uh, we are blessing God, we are saying we approve of you, God. We are praising you. We're delighted in you. And when God is blessing us, God is saying he is approving us. Um, it's, this is what God does when he is smiling upon us. When his favour is towards us. When he delights in us. We saw God the Father blessing his son Jesus on his baptism a few weeks ago. Um, if you turn back to uh, chapter 3. And verse 17, the Spirit comes on Jesus at his baptism and heaven declares, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Here is God blessing from heaven his Son in his act of obedience. There can be no greater blessing in God's universe than to be approved of by God. And here Jesus is telling us, 
Who the blessed people are. What sort of people does God approve of? What brings a smile to his face? Uh, Who does God move towards with his favour and his gracious gifts? And as you read this list, it is quite a surprising list of things. It turns out it's got nothing to do with outward success or achievements, the very things that mark what we consider a blessing and success. It doesn't seem to indicate those things. It's not about external stuff, but it's about the inner attitudes of our heart. It's not very good grammar, and I didn't go to a very posh school, but uh, it might help you uh, remember this to say, the Beatitudes are the attitude that the disciple is to be. The Beatitudes are the attitude that the disciple is to be. And it is bad grammar, I know. I'm sorry. I'm a Welshman. Disciples are to be like this, to have these attitudes. These are the inner attitudes that are prized by God, and yet they're not very often prized by our world. There's kind of three categories here. The first is our attitude towards God. Remember the summary, repent for the kingdom of heaven is here. And I think these uh, these first four beatitudes give us, uh, in a sense, a definition of what repentance looks like on the inside. What does it mean to repent? Well, these four beatitudes, the first four, help us understand what repentance really looks like. And Starts off with this, blessed are the poor in spirit. The issue here is not whether you have lots of money, whether you have little money. It is the poor in spirit. To be poor is to recognize that you have nothing to bring. You have nothing to give. You are totally dependent on God. King David said this in Psalm 34 verse 6, This poor man called... And the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. Now this world is impressed by people who are full of self-confidence. Who are proudly blowing the trumpet of their personal achievements and their integrity. And do you know what? God is distinctly unimpressed with that. The thing that impresses God, the thing that God approves of, is when people have an attitude that realise their spiritual poverty. That, that when we realise that actually when it comes to God, we are we're bankrupt. We have nothing to commend ourselves to God. We have nothing to bring to God. We're poor in spirit. The old hymn by uh, Top Lady, uh, Rock of Ages, gets this. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress. Helpless. Look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Saviour, or I die. That is the attitude of someone who is poor in spirit. And here's the encouragement. When we see this, God says, blessed. If you don't feel poor in spirit yet, read the rest of the Sermon of the Mount. Because as you read these verses, you'll be confronted with a heart righteousness, an inner um, quality 
that is so profound and so way beyond you, way beyond me, that you'll begin to experience that sense of how spiritually poor you are. And it is those that are blessed by God. Blessed are those who mourn. Again, what's the world like around us? Well, it loves light entertainment. I mean, there's always a comedy show. You can flick on the television. There's always some light, frothy entertainment. This is a world that loves to laugh, even though the laughs are pretty hollow. Endless amusements. And when you're bored, you can play Angry Birds on your phone. Endless entertainment. Endless emptiness. And Jesus says the ones who are blessed are not the ones who've got a constant chirpy little laugh all the time, but actually are those that, whose lives are punctuated with moments where they are mourning over their sin. That we realise that there is a, a profound problem in this world. That our sin is a problem. That our, that our disobedience separates us from God. And that there's a realisation of how awful that is. And there is a grieving and mourning over sin. The call of Jesus to repent reminds us that that is the realisation that needs to be there. Our hard, loveless hearts that are cold towards God and others. Well, those who are in the kingdom grieve over their sin. And those are the sort of people that are blessed by God. Blessed, verse 5, are the meek. Now, the world says if you want to make your mark a bit success, you need to be a bit... Pushy, self-promoting. All these updates on your Facebook to tell everybody how wonderful your world is. It's important to uh, insist on your rights. Get your way. Always look for ways to uh, justify yourself and show why it was not your problem. It was everybody else's problem. But the one that God approves of is the person who is meek. What does it mean to be meek? Well, a meek person is someone who is a strong person, but who chooses not to dominate. A meek person is someone who's so trusting God to take care of them and, and to entrust their future to God that they don't have to try and dominate and manipulate to uh, protect their own future and make their future happen for them. They're meek. <coughs> They can be gentle towards others. They can actually show humility and deference towards others because they're trusting the Lord for their welfare. God regards the meek. Blessed are those, uh, verse 6, who hunger and thirst for righteousness. I doubt whether anyone here really has not had food for more than a day. Or... Very few of us have experienced intense thirst. Uh, just skipping a meal and I'm feeling, oh, God, I've got to have something to eat. Get nervous. Am I going to live? Some Nutella on toast will just get me by. 
Well, the person who's in the kingdom of heaven has that intense longing for righteousness, for doing what is right, for seeing right to be done in the world, to want to conform their lives to to the righteous standards of God, to the will of God, who hate what is evil and long to see what is good and right taking place in the world and in their lives. Disciples are to be like this, to have these attitudes because these are the heart attitudes of people that belong to the kingdom of heaven, Jesus says. These are the heart responses that God blesses. And see, repentance is the, is the way into the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Those who are poor in spirit show that they belong to the kingdom of heaven. Those who mourn over their sin will be comforted. That's the blessing of being in the kingdom. King Jesus came into the world to save his people from their sins by dying on the cross as our substitute. He came because we are sinners who are far off from God. He came to provide his perfect righteous life in the place of our sin. And so if we repent of our sin and trust Christ, we're welcomed into his kingdom. And we will receive comfort if we're mourning over our sin. Totally forgiven. Totally cleansed. And those who are meek, that is those who are not pushing for the max out of this life, will in fact inherit the earth in the next. Here's the dichotomy. Do do we as Christians love the world or hate the world? Well, both, don't we? (laughs) It's a good world that he has made. It is a world that's to be enjoyed. And yet a world that is in rebellion against God is is not the world that we want to identify with. And if we're willing to reject all the false promises of this world and rebellion against God, guess what? At the end, you'll inherit the whole earth. You'll get more than Rory McElroy. And if Rory, I don't know whether Rory's a Christian or not, but if, he, if he's a Christian, he, he'll, he'll get to inherit the earth as well. It's all of grace. Those who are hungering and thirsting for righteousness, here's the wonderful promise. The blessing is that they will be filled. They will see it. They will experience it. It'll be a gift from God. It'll be theirs. The Beatitudes are not then just attitudes to be towards God, but they're also attitudes to be towards people, verses 7 to 9. Blessed are the merciful, verse 7. Uh, Those whose life uh, bears a tendency uh, towards viewing others with mercy. Those who, who don't immediately think that people should get exactly what they deserve, because they remember, of course, that God did not give us exactly what we deserve, but he showed us mercy. He turned away his anger. When others let us down or fall short in some way, uh, we're not the sort of people that would um, give them what for, exactly what they deserve in terms of a verbal lashing or other things. But we hold back. We show mercy. We show compassion and forgiveness. Well, these are the ones that God approves of. Verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart. 
We've had an extraordinary week teaching us about the significance of food purity, haven't we? It turns out beef lasagna meals in supermarket may not be pure beef lasagna meals. And the Food Standards Agency is saying we should stop horsing around. And when it says pure beef on the outside, it should be that on the inside. Well, that, that's what purity means. That the people of God that he approves are those who, who are on the outside what they are on the inside and they're on the inside what they are on the outside. That there's a moral integrity and impurity that, that flows from the inside out. Now, if we haven't understood that these uh, Beatitudes are not achievable in our natural strength, this, this is the one, I think, that really pulls us up. Jesus tells us in Matthew 15, um, out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, <laughs> adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. In fact, Jesus convicts us that actually what comes out of our hearts is anything but pure. And this beatitude just reminds us that actually what we need is a tremendous work of God's grace. We need brand new hearts to be part of his kingdom. This king has come not just to say, look, here is the perfect way to live. He is saying, I'll give you a pure, brand new heart. I'll change you from the inside out that you can begin to live in this kingdom sort of way. Blessed are the peacemakers. Verse 9. Not the people who are always looking to uh, stir the pot, make friction and conflict, but those who seek to end hostility, to bring quarrelsome people together, to make peace. Well, these are the people that God approves of. Such people are blessed by God. In this way, the merciful will be shown mercy. The pure in heart will see God. The peacemakers will be called sons of God. These inner attitudes that mark a disciple, a follower of Jesus, um, these inner attitudes are ones that are very characteristics of God himself. And so, God, so we're called the sons of God. We bear the Father's likeness, for he's a God of mercy, of purity, a God of peace. Now, I don't know you've noticed this, but quite a lot of these blessings are future. Blessed, you're in a state of blessedness now. But the full experience of that blessing will not be yours until the kingdom comes in its fullness. We experience it in part now. We know something of the comfort of the gospel. But their full reality is yet to come. There's attitudes towards God. There's attitudes towards people. And lastly, attitudes towards persecution. In verses 10 to 12. This, these are probably the most challenging ones to take, aren't they? A few weeks ago, we had a marriage conference called What Did You Expect? It was, it was a great title, really, isn't it? You got problems in your marriage? What did you expect? And perhaps at the beginning of, uh, this, uh, of, of following Jesus, the disciples may have expected 
that, that life following Jesus is going to be something like being a personal assistant to a Hollywood A-lister. Because he was surrounded by crowds. People were coming from all over the place. Jesus was the hot ticket person. He was the person to be with. Everyone was bringing the sick and disease to come to Jesus. And you know what? As the crowds flocked to him, guess who were his disciples? Wow, discipleship, this is pretty good. Being, a, being, a, being someone who fishes for men, this is pretty straightforward. They just come to you. It's easy. And they're with Jesus. And having seen the crowds, Jesus, as it were, partly withdraws from the crowds. He comes up to the mountainside. He sits down and he teaches his disciples the truth. He gives them realistic expectations. Verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If we are those who are hungering and thirsting for righteousness in this world, guess what? That puts us on a collision course with a world that has different values to those virtues. We're on a collision course. I was chatting to uh, someone this week who's in the world of finance, and he was saying it's very hard to be a whistleblower in his industry. Wrongdoing happens, but if you point it out, you're effectively kissing goodbye to your career forever. I know of a man who got promoted in a different division in the company, and after their first business trip, he got pulled in to see his supervisor, who told him off for not overclaiming on his expenses like everybody else in the group. He said, well, I'm only going to claim for what's legitimate. He said, look, you're showing the rest of us up. And the word got around, and they made sure his life felt pretty miserable. A commitment to righteousness can put you on a crash course against those who don't share that virtue. They have different values. People get annoyed when we live by different standards uh, to the culture around us. If you want to engage in the same dirty jokes and same uh, office slander, or maybe you refuse to submit to the politically correct uh, mantras of equalities, you express you have a different view on, uh, on marriage, well, that's tough. I don't know whether you watched any of the debate this last week, but uh, I, I watched some of the parliamentary speeches. David Burrows, who's the MP for Enfield North, he's also a member of Enfield Free Church, he made an excellent speech. And he, he, he spoke about how he's personally gone to schools and spoken out against homophobic bullying. But his clear stand against redefining marriage has brought him nothing but animosity and abuse. His, uh, his standing is because he's, he's got these biblical convictions. He's, he's argued it on another basis in Parliament. But he's received um, death threats. Uh, there's been threats made against the lives of his children. All for just standing up and saying, let's not redefine marriage. You see, Jesus warns us that it is normal to expect persecution. Persecution. 
Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In fact, it seems as if this is where the Beatitudes are really going because he, he expands on it and he personalizes it to them. Verse 11, he turns to them specifically. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. See, because of righteousness and because of me go together. To follow King Jesus, the righteous king, is to want to live a righteous life like King Jesus. And that will put us in a collision course with a world that doesn't rate that righteousness. And you see that uh, Jesus includes there these uh, verbal abuses and slander and evil speech as part of persecution. It's not just physical abuse and torture. So how should you respond in that environment? Verse 12, rejoice and be glad. Rejoice and be glad. Now how does that work? Someone's heaping abuse on you, slander on you, insulting you, maybe beating you, taking your things, forcing you to leave your house, putting you into a, a labor cap. Rejoice and be glad. Why should I rejoice and be glad? Well, Jesus gives two reasons. See, although the world might find ways to show its disapproval, when we live for Jesus and seek to uphold God's righteousness in the world, Jesus reminds us that God approves and blesses those who are willing to stand. You are wearing the badge of a genuine citizen of heaven. Theirs is the kingdom. Rejoice and be glad because your reward will be great, he says. It's hard to imagine in a million years' time um, living in the new heavens and the new earth, having enjoyed countless hundreds of thousands of years of living in close fellowship with God, of meeting Christ personally, of enjoying uh, this beautiful world without sin and suffering and shame, engaged in exploring and discovering and working in this wonderful world to the glory of God, to the praise of his name. It is hard to imagine millennia of that. What it would be like to, at that point, step back and remember those 60 or 70 years where you were marginalised, where you really were considered a bit of a weirdo, not popular, maybe suffering, maybe hardship. But from that vantage point, what will it feel to look back on those brief decades? It will seem as nothing, will it not? I consider, Paul says, our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. Why rejoice and be glad? Because when well, your reward is great, you are genuinely part of this citizen, and uh, you're a genuine citizen of this kingdom, and your reward will be great. And Jesus says you're in great company as well. This is exactly how they treated the prophets 
who were before you, verse 12. It's funny how, you know, we, we, in, in history lessons we'll talk about the great ones in the past. The truth was, in those days, those great ones, those great Christians were hated and despised. People say, oh, John Bunyan, what a great author, what a great man. They hated him at the time. They locked him in prison, what, for 12 years? Jeremiah was thrown down a well. Elijah fleed for his life regularly. All the prophets were basically treated as uh, pain in the necks at best and told to shut up and go somewhere else with their prophecies in their day. This is what it is to be part of the kingdom of heaven. We, we've, we've heard earlier what it, mean, what it means for some people in North Korea, what it means for people in Indonesia and in various places in the world. And I don't know whether you feel it, but I, I, I feel that this is where the culture's going. I don't really watch Question Time. The angry voices from the audience in Sterling this week. I don't know why we should pay any attention to biblical teaching anyway. And the vitriol. Well, if you're going to care about the Bible and you're going to stand with the Bible, you're going to stand with Christ and live for Christ and live in that way, guess what? This culture is turning away from it. It's increasingly going to get rough. And we're going to face increasing difficulties. And we need to hear what Jesus says. Rejoice. Be glad. If you're suffering in that way, even in the mildest way, it means you belong to the kingdom of heaven. And your reward is great. You're in great company. Do not lose heart. God's blessing is upon you. God approves of you. And so the question is, whose approval are you looking for? Are you looking for the approval and the blessing of this world? Are you going to look for the approval and blessing of God? Are you going to listen to King Jesus? Are you going to listen to, I don't know, whoever the person is that you're esteeming right now? The Sermon on the Mount begins with blessing and it finishes with a bang. The sound of a house crashing down. Uh, two people build lovely houses with sea views. One builds on the rock, one builds on the sand. And the difference between the two people, Jesus says, is the one who builds on the rock is the one who hears and obeys what Jesus says. They listen to Jesus and they follow Jesus. And when the storms of life come, when the storms of final judgment come, those who built their life on Jesus in obedience to him will stand. Those who reject there's nothing left. A disastrous end. Will you listen to Jesus? Here are the attitudes that are to be marked in those in the kingdom of heaven. Do, do you have those attitudes of heart? The Christian life starts with repentance. It says, no, I don't have these actions of heart. I'm not this sort of person. Lord, forgive me. I want to turn from living for this world. I want to live for you. I want to follow you, Jesus. Forgive me my sins. I'm mourning over my sins. I realize I have nothing to bring. 
I seek the comfort of the gospel. And the way on in the Christian life is a recognition of daily repentance, daily need, daily dependence on the Holy Spirit to do this heart work, to cultivate these inner attitudes of heart. You'll never understand the Christian life unless you realize it starts from the inside out. Do you notice But there's eight attitudes? Uh, why don't you pick one each day of this week? And next Sunday, pick off the eighth one. Just, why don't you pick one of those Beatitudes each morning and just pray. Lord, cultivate that in me. Think about your context in your life. In what ways can, can that attitude show itself out? Let's pray and see this happen.